God for all of the miracles that he had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. So as I was reflecting over it, uh, what was on my heart, one, for our individual walk is that the word says when they hit the point that they began to go down the mountain, that's when they began to release their praises to God because they knew of his faithfulness. And in our walk, sometimes we wait until we get in the valley to begin to praise God, but this word is saying that as soon as we begin to go down, as soon as we see that things are not feeling right, is when we should begin to praise God. Because in our human condition, sometimes we can forget that God is faithful, that he delivered us yesterday, that he's been faithful to us our whole life, that he'll continue to be faithful to us as we go. But also what it said to me about us as a body is that they praise God in community. They reminded each other that God is faithful. And when we come into the house of the Lord, sometimes we gotta let that praise out, we gotta shout, we gotta cry, because sometimes our witness of God's faithfulness is the very encouragement that somebody needs to be reminded that God will continue to carry them through. That's exactly it, right? If God stirs something in you, let it out because unbeknownst to you, you're somehow blessing someone else that needed to know that God is real and it's manifest in someone's life. So, freedom and worship. Amen. All right. So, thank you so much, Constance. So, let's turn our attention to God's Word then. Let's see in just a couple of key sets of verses what it is he has to say about us being together. So we'll go to Acts 2, and if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you want to turn to Acts 2, we'll put it up behind us as well, but kind of small. So, you remember Acts is the beginning of the church. It is when the Holy Spirit is unleashed in the earth. The thing that Jesus kept saying, it, 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 I must leave because something even greater that is going to fill you needs to come, and that's the Holy Spirit that's going to be your guide to tell you things like, that woman there, you need to go talk to her. I've got something for her. Okay, so the Spirit. So, what I love about Acts, when you see the early church, it's birthed in Acts 2, and it's like the purity and the full power of the Spirit. I always think, I always go back to see, how should we really be living? Because I think when we see the very first Christian church, the teachings there are amazing, and it's like what we could aspire to. So Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who has had need. I've heard so many sermons where, um, not at this church, but other churches, a lot of time is spent to say you don't really have to do that, but... It means something else. But yes, I think they, they actually did sell property and shared their possessions with each other. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What were they doing? They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And this, what comes next is what comes after. Every time the Bible talks about the believers were together, it ends with this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's an amazing uh, pattern here. So look in this first line, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They had the Greek word koinonia, they had fellowship, they were sharing their lives together. They spent a lot of time together doing things together. 
just in these verses. They were eating, they were teaching, they were sharing, they were praising God. They were devoted to being together. Why? Several years ago, there were a series of studies that were conducted about former American prisoners. And they were trying to determine the methods that the enemy used to break their spirit. Why did some prisoners of war able to maintain their spirit? Why were others broken? That was the question. What they found was not what they expected. They, their findings said that they did not break down from physical deprivation or torture as quickly as they did from solitary confinement and having their friendships disrupted. It was further learned that the soldiers were not sustained primarily by faith in their country or the rightness of their cause, but they drew their greatest strength from the close attachments they had formed with the small military unit to which they belonged. There's something powerful that God has created it in us, that God says, as believers, we are family. We are to support one another like those soldiers do. It's kind of interesting, right? We share the same father. We all actually have the same father. So we really are related. And we're called then to share in one another's lives. So Christianity is not a sole occupation. I make my faith commitment to Christ and I go on my merry way. It's then it becomes a shared experience with the rest of God's family. I mean, this is interesting to me. Jesus says, he's talking to his disciples, he says, a new commandment I give to you, a new one. And what is the new commandment? Seems so unnew. He says, love one another. That's his new commandment. And then he says, as I've loved you, so you love one another. I've been the model of what it means to love, even to the point, of course, of laying down his life. So from these, just a couple of set of verses here, we get a sense of what the intended nature of fellowship is for us. Four things. It's commitment. They were doing it all the time. It's solidarity. They were sharing their lives together. It's hospitality. They met in each other's homes. They broke bread together. They shared meals. And it's growing. The Lord will multiply. He will add new members to the family. That's God's intent. We can go to a second set of verses in Hebrews. Again, if you're looking on your own, you can turn to Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. So Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians that were living in Jerusalem. And it says, and this is a bit, little bit later, right? This is after these initial set of verses we had looked at. Let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So apparently already, some people were starting to say we don't really need to meet together. But instead, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So notice that we actually have some duties as members of God's community. As sons and daughters of the Father, we're supposed to spend time with each other, we're supposed to love each other, support, do good deeds, meet together, encourage, uplift, exhort. The day that it talks about here is, of course, when the Son of Man, when Jesus comes back. So all the more as we wait for the arrival of Christ to come back. All right, so here's these verses. If we actually live them out, which it turns out in some ways we do better than if we weren't here in church. So church is one of the things it does is encourages us on these kind of things. So let me show you some statistics, some actual results from studies Again, looking at those of us that go to church regularly, those compared to those who don't. 
Next slide, please. Stats. Try not to scare you, but here. Deepening the soul. So this first set of findings we can put into health and happiness. Okay, so first slide here. Now this study is just looking at older adults, so I know we don't have a lot of older adults, but if there are a few here, what happens if you're a regular church attender? You will have less disability on average, less rates of depression, less rates of chronic ongoing depression, lower rates of breast cancer, lower, lower rates of serial spinal cord injuries, weird, and less symptoms of any kind whatsoever. Well, how about for the rest of us if we're not quite old yet? Maybe I'm getting to the older adult, but most of you aren't. Okay, next slide, please. Here's where somebody took 203 different studies looking at the relationship between church attendance and health. And this is what they concluded from all those studies. Those who attend church regularly have a lower risk of depression, lower incidences of drug use, fewer suicide attempts, and more reported life satisfaction. Again, they're happier, feel better about themselves. Uh, the next set of studies actually took 498 different studies on the top. There have been thousands of studies on this. People find this fascinating. 498 different studies and concluded those who attend church regularly have higher perceived well-being. They feel better. Higher self-esteem, less hypertension, and engage in less criminality. A benefit for society, I suppose. And then in the biggest set of combining studies... 2,000 different studies. They looked at the effect of church attendance and health. And they concluded across these studies, it is clear and undoubted that those who attend church regularly are mentally and physically healthier. And across all these studies, they live on average seven years longer. I love that it's seven, right? The holy number. <laughs> but I'm not done yet, even if you want me to be. Turns out there's even more effects. Less, those who attend church regularly are less likely to abuse drugs, commit crimes, get divorced, commit suicide. They fight depression better. They're less affected by divorce. And it does happen. Less affected by unemployment when it happens. Less affected by illness if it happens. And less affected in a negative way by the death of the loved one because they have hope of where their loved one may be. But I'm not done yet. You have reduced stress, lower blood pressure, diminished anxiety, enhanced immune response, lower rates of alcoholism, drug use, cigarette smoking, risky sexual behavior, and the most important one of all, not wearing a seatbelt. Like the energy bunny, let's keep going. You are more likely, if you're a regular church attender, to have your illnesses diagnosed early and treated more effectively. Weird. If you are not a church attender and you become one, we start seeing these changes. You're more likely to stop smoking. You're more likely to increase your exercising. You're more likely to stay married, less likely to get divorced, and so on and so forth. So let me wrap this, this particular one up. Greater overall social support, and the support is more satisfying and long-lasting, those who attend church regularly, and end up with increased feelings of optimism and happiness. Wow. Now, not only does attending church have all of these benefits mentally and mental health, physical health, and so on, and our happiness for us individually, but it has pretty immense contributions to society. So I, I'll share this by saying, so five years ago, I was a professor at Rice University in Houston, and there was a contingent of Chinese officials, and it was uh, from their central government, right? And they, 
asked that I would give a talk about volunteerism, people volunteering through churches in the metropolitan area of Houston. They were doing this because they were trying to figure out how could they increase volunteer rates in China. Like they just weren't getting much and they're trying to figure out, the U.S. is kind of known for this, so how's it done? So I did an analysis in preparation. So in the region of six million people, I found that 3.6 million attend services at least monthly. So it's a pretty high rate, you know, it's in the Bible Belt. Well over half people going to church pretty regularly. The area has several thousand congregations ranging from as small as, to t as 10 to the nation's largest, Lakewood, which you can see on TV every week, has over 50,000 people coming every Sunday. They combine, these churches produce 2.2 million volunteers and uh, tens of millions of volunteer hours. So I started investigating, well, what are they doing with their volunteer time? Um, okay, well, it does kind of determines what kind of religious tradition you're in. So people in Catholic churches and people in mainline churches and people in what we'll call evangelical churches kind of volunteer in different areas, but combined, they cover basically everything. So volunteers served as free daycare providers so parents could have some time off. They volunteered at the Houston Food Bank. They worked on park beautification projects. They created care packages for the military, gift baskets for women and women's shelters. They served as the volunteers in the women's shelters. At Lakewood, they offer literally drive-through prayer. You can drive your car, pull up, just like you're at the bank or getting your medicine, and you give your prayer request and they pray for you right there. That's always kind of an experience. Church volunteers gather shoes, blankets, and blood donors to meet the community needs. They supported the homeless. They start operation, operated adoption services, engaged in immigration and refugee advocacy, provided financial assistance, legal assistance, counseling services, disaster recovery, support for foster children, seniors, orphans, halfway houses, prisoners. I could go on and on. I, I actually have it all here, but it's going to take too long. And basically, they do seemingly everything. Uh, more systematically, there's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania named Ram Kanan. I love his name, Ram Kanan. He did two sets of studies. One of, he like, called it a census of churches of Philadelphia. And then because of what he found there, he did it for the whole country. And basically, spare you the details, what he concluded is that if we did not have churches and the people in there doing the volunteering, the quality of life in our nation would deteriorate immeasurably. Like that he said, it's just simply our society would cease to function without the work that churches do. So we have, uh, and uh, one of the impacts is this incredible amount of influence that churches can have. We have a, a noted scholar named Nancy Ammerman, and I'll conclude on this part with her. She did a big massive study of congregations and this was her conclusion in the last part of her 600-page book. In the nation's churches, she says, we learn lessons for how to work together, how to speak with confidence and humility. Right? When we have the young children up here doing this, they get used to being in front of others. They get support. You can do this. You can stand in front of the big people. How to care for the world, we are taught. Congregations and service attendants are so essential because of their for their participants, us. Worship is where the eyes are opened. Religious education is where the, we get our focus and our purpose. 
And caring communities of faith are where people practice the art of compassionate response. So let's go back to the chart that I'd asked you to think about. We'll put that up here. There it is. Let's think about why this is. And everything else I just said, it comes down to this. In the next slide, we'll summarize it. For believers, for believers, there is greatness in togetherness. There is greatness in togetherness. No matter what our society tries to tell us, God tells us this. And this greatness is twofold, all right? One, we learn when we come together the teachings of our Lord that will guide and sustain us and encourage us. And then there is help fellow believers to be here to encourage and support us. Okay, we were created to be a people that need meaning and purpose and we were created to need each other. So when we participate in the church life together, we accomplish both. And we've just seen the amazing impacts that come from that. As God says, when we go, we can just pull out some verses very quickly of God saying what happens together. How good and pleasant it is, my word, when people, God's people, live together in unity. As iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. Sometimes we need that. For where two or three gather in my name, or hundreds, there I am. I am there. For I know the plans I have for you. And we talked about this last week. God makes plans for us. What are they? Plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is what God does. So my friends, there are amazing, incredible, stupendous benefits of us being together. And that is exactly as God has planned it. He told us in the Bible this is what it would be, and indeed it is. So let's continue together climbing in Christ, and let's conclude here with prayer. Well, Father, we only scratch the surface of what it is you do. We don't deserve it, but you have designed it this way. You have given us each other. You have given us knowledge, meaning, and purpose through you.